Hello and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside Numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for spending time with me today. I know there are a lot of choices out there. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, both at CubsPSPlus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS+. Please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds will help me get better and help others find the show. I'd love to know what you want to know about Cubs baseball. Welcome into episode 21. Well, we're still waiting. This week I talk about the stall, why star power matters, and what paths are still on the table for the Cubs. We could be traveling right along Jed Hoyer's preferred path, or we could be watching live as Jed struggles to adjust to a rapidly changing free agent market. What kind of hopes remain for Cubs fans as we head into the holidays? Let's dive in. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. Well, Cubs fans, what do you think about the roster so far? A couple weeks ago, we were sitting here talking about all the guys they might pursue at the winter meetings, the holes on the roster, all the areas for improvement. Right now, Cubs Twitter is kind of a mess. There's a lot going on outside the Cubs. With the Cubs, they've picked up a couple signings we'll talk about here in a couple minutes. But the big question is, what's the plan? It seems like Jed has a plan, I guess. Um, I think up to this point, if you go back to the beginning of the Tom Ricketts era, from the moment he hired Theo Epstein, there's always been a plan. The plan hasn't always worked, but it's typically either immediately been very clear what it is they're doing, or as you look back on it, it was pretty obvious what they were doing. So Theo comes in, it's the rebuild, it's the the tank and trade guys for parts, grow, we hit 2015, they got better faster than expected, all those young prospects kind of came to the bigs at the same time, go through you know the 2018 season into 2019, the offense was starting to be broken, and it became time to kind of change course. And so at that point, Jed steps away before the 2020 season and sorry, Theo steps away before the 2020 season and the rebuild was on. They didn't extend any of the young core from 2016, except for Kyle Hendricks. He did take a uh, kind of a team friendly extension paying out his RB years plus a couple. And I guess David Bodie, but he wasn't part of that young core in 2016. So as we look at this, the rebuild has been, I'd say pretty successful. If the goal was to rebuild the system, put depth in the system, make it a quality minor league system again, I think the rebuild has gone well up to this point. I kind of hate that they had to trade all those guys, but the returns they got were good. I mean, Kevin Alcantara looks like a potential future star. Um, PCA looks like a potential future star. Certainly those guys look like everyday major leaguers You know, in a couple of years. So there's a lot to like there, but now comes the next step. You've purged almost all the parts. Wilson Contreras is gone. Kyle Hendricks is probably gone after this season. So the next step is building that next core. So we've talked a lot about bringing it, raising the floor of this team. They've done that. You know, the, the, the bottom part of this roster to start last season was atrocious and it showed, it showed when they had injuries and all of a sudden those guys had to step up and play and it, it wasn't good enough. But now we, I've also talked about how the off season is when you raise the ceiling of a team. That's when you can come in and you can bring in, a top-end free agent shortstop. You can go get a potential frontline starting pitcher. 
And I think coming in, I think a lot of fans wanted the Cubs to go really hard at shortstop because that's where the concentration of big bats were. And I think a lot of fans wanted the Cubs to go in on a big starting pitcher. And certainly, if you know, I would welcome that. But I think the pitching is at a place where the Jamison Tyone type deal the Cubs signed probably is good enough. It's not good enough to compete for the World Series, but I don't necessarily think that was really on the table anyway. I think it was add depth to that rotation, make it something that can withstand a couple injuries. You know, last year they finished with 74 wins. I I still firmly believe that if things had gone right in the first half and they did not even come close to going right in the first half, I mean, four of the five starting pitchers missed time, 60% of the rotation missed basically most of the first half. You know, if that first half had gone better, then the Cubs probably were close to a 500 team. Maybe they would have been in play to potentially flirt with a wild card bid. I mean, that was that was always going to be the top end for last, last year's team. So this year, the goal in my head, and I think a lot of fans share this, was to go a step bigger. Certainly get back to that, get north of 500. But put yourself in that 83, 85, 87 win territory where if you're trending that direction, you can make a move at the deadline and bring somebody in to make your team better, help your chances of getting the postseason. Or if nothing else, if that's where you finish, if you finish with 85 wins and you've now added one or two pieces that are going to be with this team longer term, you start to make Chicago look like a hop in place to be again with bigger crowds back at Wrigley. You know, Wrigley has always been a place where players love to play. So if the team's going to win, I think they're going to be a free agent draw. I think the problem we have right now is that heading into this, and I will preface everything I'm going to say for the rest of this podcast on the premise that Jed's plan may still be fully operational. Jed may have targeted Dansby Swanson from the start. He sounds like they did target Jamison Tyone from the start. The catcher position has me a little worried. Um, I think they targeted Jose Abreu, and I think early on, you know, he signed basically the first day of the winter meetings and got an extra year. I think at that point, we hadn't necessarily seen yet that the market had changed. So the Cubs sat sat out that extra year. Okay, that's probably fine. I mean, I, I would love to have Jose Abreu's bat in this lineup, but the offseason isn't a failure because of Jose Abreu. But the Cubs have now seen the market change. Trey Turner got 11 years. Xander Bogarts got 11 years. Carlos Correa got 13 years. Um, Carlos Rodon got six years. I think a lot of people were projecting him for four or five. Brandon Nimmo was projected for four or five years. He got eight. The market has changed. You know, the past few years, there have been a lot of owners who have kind of made a lot of hay with the high average annual value salary on a shorter term deal. And that's something that Jed, I think, likes to do. The Cubs have payroll flexibility. Um, we'll talk more about that in a bit. But the, the Cubs have a lot of space in this year's budget. So if they can get a really good player, pay him maybe too much this year, but keep those years down, you leave yourself a lot of future flexibility. Well, the market's flipped. Teams aren't doing that right now. You see the Mets. I mean, the Mets are at a ridiculous $322 million in their 2023 payroll, which is almost $100 million over the $233 million competitive balance tax threshold. And they're doing it in a way where they're giving more years. They're giving 11, you know, teams are giving 11 years, but let's be real. They're only really focusing on the first eight. They're keeping that average annual value down so that when they get to that back end of that deal and that player is now 38, 39 years old and is no longer the star player they were, 
sure, they still owe him $27 million, but $27 million at a point where the, who knows, the competitive balance tax threshold might be $270, million. You know, you're just not talking about a massive part of that payroll, even in the short term. You know, if Carlos Correa, he just signed for $26.9 million per year, albeit for 13 years, if he starts having injury plague seasons, you're kind of, I'll use finger quotes here, you're only paying him $27 million. You know, I've used the $30 million threshold as an example quite a bit, and I'll go back to that. So in 2016, $30 million was the third highest paid player in baseball. Last year, it was 16th. By 2028, it's probably not in the top 50. It might not be in the top 100. So the fact that a $27 million burden is there, Cubs are a big market team, especially if they're winning. If they're winning, I mean, the revenues are just out of this world by the time you factor in that the the Cubs or Tom Ricketts own, you know, the, the uh, Wrigley Field renovations get paid off more and more each year. They bought up a bunch of the real estate around the area. You know, if Wrigley Field is hopping, those bars are packed, those restaurants are packed, those hotel rooms are booked, they've got the sports book going in. I mean, that's going to make money hand over fist. So future revenue isn't a problem. And if the team's hot, marquee ratings are going to go through the roof. You have a major product to sell now to the advertisers and to all the TV networks. They're going to want marquee in. So, but to get there, you have to improve the team. And I know Jed has talked a lot about not liking long-term deals. I get it. I'm actually with him. I agree with him to a large extent. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty built into a long contract. Injuries, decline. You know, there's just, there's so many things that can happen. And also, you're typically not going to get the same player at the back end. And if you sign a guy when he's 24, yeah. Sign a 24-year-old to a 10-year deal. Barring, obviously, you raise the injury risk, but... You are talking about having a really quality player probably through age 34. You probably don't have a lot to worry about there. But most players don't hit free agency until, you know, if they came up young, maybe they hit free agency at 25, 26. A lot of times it is 27, 28, 29, 30. So, sure, you build that in. You start paying them in the back half of 35. Their skills are down. But I said it last week, and I'll, I'll go through it again here, but you sign a 10-year deal for a star player. You're really expecting star performance for three to four years you're then expecting above average performance for another three to five years so what you're hoping is out of that 10-year contract you get three plus years of elite performance and then you also get another three to five years of above average play if you do that who cares what that guy does on the back end of his contract you're paying for the upfront years you're paying for the now and the cubs also have a system with a lot of talent at the low end so you go sign somebody for that contract, bring them in. If they fade it, you know, in five years, hopefully there are a ton of kids up here ready to take that spot. And those kids aren't going to cost much when they first come up either. So it balances itself out. So the market has moved. I want to see Jed adjust. You know, if, if he holds to six years on Dansby Swanson, which was probably the expectation coming into the offseason, he might not get him. And if he doesn't get Dansby Swanson then everything gets a lot harder. And we'll talk more about that here in a minute. So can Jed adjust? Will he adjust? Um, it's interesting. So let's walk through what the Cubs have done so far. Um, I don't think you guys probably need a recap, but we'll go through it quick and I'll give my views on the signings. So 
the Cubs needs haven't changed. We talked through it. Um, but they did sign Cody Bellinger for center field. He's a guy who has had some elite seasons. I mean, his first four years in the majors, his WRC plus range from 112 on the low end to 161 on the high end. He's been really rough the last two though, because he had a major injury in 2021 and really hasn't recovered his swing. Um, but he does play elite defense. So that's, the Cubs are bringing him in for his defense. Expect that. But really, the floor on Cody Bellinger is still, you know, his batting average will tick up because there's no more shift. He's a lefty who hit into the shift all the time. So expect a higher batting average. And probably the floor for him, as long as he's healthy, is great defense in center field and 20-plus homers. I mean, the Cubs don't have lefty pop, and he gives you lefty pop. It's likely that however this Cody Bellinger contract goes this year, they prob- the second option, the second-year option probably will not get exercised but it is being called a mutant option for a reason i mean there's an option there for cody to make 25 million dollars for one more season so there is actually a path to him staying for two years now if he comes in this year plays some defense the bat continues to regress the cubs aren't going to take that option and cody will move on and hopefully brennan davis or pca or alexander canario are ready to take that spot on the flip side if he has a monster year if he comes back and puts up a 140 wrc plus season with 35 home runs he's probably not keeping that deal because the free agent market next year is pretty light but if he lands in the middle if he misses a month or two with an injury or he has a maybe a good year but not a great year and he really feels like he can build on that that 25 million dollar enticement might be enough to keep him and let him grow that second year and then hit the free agent market. So there is a chance, and there's not really much risk to the Cubs. I mean, the Cubs at no point have to take it. It is a mutual option. But if it's worth it to them and it's worth it to Cody, it, it could be a match, and that would give them another year of bridge. Um, on the starting pitcher side, they'd signed Jamison Tyone. I, it's come out that he was their top target. He was the guy they were chasing. And that's fine. I mean, Jamison Tyone... He's not Carlos Rodon. He's not Jacob DeGrom. He's not Justin Verlander. But he's a guy who consistently pitches. He consistently makes his starts. He consistently eats innings. And he's got some upside. He is a low strikeout, you know, high contact pitcher. So it's gonna, he's another guy the Cubs are going to have in that rotation that, where it places an importance on defense. But he's a guy I think the Cubs are probably, from what I can tell, looking at his pitch mix and his, his stats on – baseball savant and things like that. I think it's likely they're going to work on that slider. I think if he can get that slider, you know, 10% better, I think all of a sudden he starts to look potentially like a high end three, low two, as opposed to sort of just a mid rotation guy. But either way, that mid rotation guy is what the Cubs absolutely had to have. Um, They also signed Brad Boxberger yesterday. He's a quality reliever. Um, We probably know him most from his time in Milwaukee um, he's had a good, solid career as a reliever. He's not a he's not a lefty, which the Cubs need, but he is a right-hander that pit, pitches to reverse splits, so that's good. Um, he's on a one-year deal with a second-year option, and I think he's just another one of those guys that the Cubs bring in, and, and I have no reason to doubt them at this point. You know, After seeing Ryan Tapera and Andrew Chafin and Chris Martin and David Robertson and Michael Givens, like, the Cubs just find these guys, they bring them in, they tweak their mix, they enhance a pitch, they maybe give them something else to throw, and they're a good reliever. So I have I have no reason to think otherwise with Brad Boxberger. 
Um, he's not sexy, and obviously he did not set the Cubs Twitter world on fire and make up for the lack of shortstop signing yesterday, but I think he's a good get, and I think he'll be a good solid addition to the bullpen. So with those guys added, catcher is probably the most perplexing to me right now. So coming into the offseason, or I guess as of a couple weeks ago before winter meetings, there was talk that the A's would want to trade Sean Murphy. He's obviously a really attractive player. He's a gold glove level defense. He can hit. He's young. And I thought he might be in the Cubs might be in the mix for that. But I was also a little worried about the cost, especially once the um, once the Cubs were or once the A's were talking about wanting major league talent in return. I think that it's kind of a tough sell. Not that the Cubs don't have it, but the Cubs are already working on a thin margin of error on the offense. So subtracting from the team to get Murphy, it could work. Um, in this case, it doesn't matter because it didn't. Murphy went to the Braves, and of course, the Braves sent William Contreras to Milwaukee. So we're going to face all the Contreras brothers this year. Um, and then I, I don't know. I wasn't I wasn't that thrilled with the return that A's got, but whatever. So they they made that trade. Um, then I thought the Cubs have been rumored all along to really uh, Christian Vasquez made a lot of sense. He can hit. He can, you know. He plays good defense. He's good with pitchers. He's got a great rep for that. And the Cubs made an offer, and the offer was clearly competitive because it was the same amount of years and dollars as what Vasquez signed with the Twins. The only difference was the Cubs offered a fourth-year team option. And on the one hand, you could argue that's actually a better contract because it's more guaranteed money. Who knows? Maybe he didn't want the option, or maybe he just picked the Twins over the Cubs, which, if that's the case, that's concerning too. But you know, there, there are a lot of things that could have happened with that. I don't know mechanically how that process played out. Um, I'm quite certain the Twins and Cubs each submitted their offer independently without, um, you know, knowing what the other team bid. And I don't know what the process was once Vasquez and his agent had that deal. Did they just pick the Twins and say, we're good? Did they go back to one side or the other and try to get more? Um, I think, you know... If Jed had a chance to exceed that offer or pull the team option or add years, whatever the case was, and didn't at that price point, I mean, it was it was three years, $30 million, so it's $10 million a year. That's a That would be a ton of money to me, but in baseball terms, that's nothing. You know, go to, go to 12 for three years, th- three years, 30 versus three years, 36. Doesn't change anything for the Cubs. So... I've got some concerns. This is now where the concerns for me start to come in. You know, I've been largely positive. I was a little annoyed last week at the, you know, kind of we're we're still waiting phase of free agency. But at that point, from what we've learned now, the Cubs were not in as hard on some of those guys as we thought they were. And so it may be that Dansby Swanson was just the guy they wanted and Dansby was going to wait until the other shortstops were gone and he – got married and now he's on his honeymoon. So this might be the timing that he wants and the Cubs are just playing out his schedule. But the fact that the Cubs couldn't outbid the twins for Christian Vasquez is a little concerning. And then Omar Narvaez went to the Mets at that point. It, it, it doesn't matter as much. Um, Narvaez is a good player and, and he was the best catcher left after Vasquez was signed. But you know, at no point would you go into the offseason with, you know, maybe maybe a lesser catcher and say, well, this offseason was a failure because we didn't get Omar Narvaez. Like, that's just not how this stuff works. But they do have to get a catcher. You know, Jan Gomes probably caught about as much as he could catch last year. He is a 
maybe Jan can catch half the games. PJ Higgins can catch. He's not he's not a superstar back there. Um, I think his he's best in a flexible role where he can come in and he can come in and catch some games, absolutely. But he can also fill in at first, fill in at third, bench bat. Um, I don't think you want to go into the season with Gomes and Higgins as your catching tandem. So with the guys that are left, Tucker Barnhart is a great defensive catcher. doesn't hit at all. Same with Roberto Perez. Um, another option on the table is the Blue Jays are carrying three catchers who are all getting pricier by the day. Um, so it sounds like they might trade Danny Jansen. And, and Danny's a good catcher. He's, he's a good catcher with a good reputation working with pitchers. He's also young. He's still in arbitration. This will be his ARB2 season, and he's projected to make a little over $3 million. And he's projected to hit. I mean, he's Steamer has him projected for a 120 WRC plus in 2023. So he'd be a good get. The, the concern with Jansen is I don't know what the Blue Jays would want in return. There have been some rumors that they like Ian Happ, and Happ might go over in a trade for Jansen. Maybe. Um, the one thing, and I said it already at this podcast, but – where the Cubs sit right now, I don't really get excited about removing a piece from this season to add another piece back. Like if you send Hap away, it's probably easier to replace Hap in left field than it is to get 120 WRC plus the catcher position. But I don't like subtracting the guy who's probably currently the best bat, best or second best bat on the team for a catcher. Um, it may make sense if the Cubs don't have intentions to sign him or they don't think he's going to come to a you know, off-season ag- agreement on an extension. But if you can get Danny Jansen for something less than Ian Happ, some package of prospects or something, I'm, I'm pretty for it. Um, so that's, that, that's one. And then impact bats. You know, a lot of impact bats are gone. So Swanson is the best impact bat left. And like I said, maybe he was the target all along, but I think you have to get him. If you get him, you suddenly improve a lot of areas quickly. Um, Nico Horner is an above average borderline, great defensive shortstop. So is Dansby Swanson, but the Cubs had a defensive hole at second base. I talked about how bad center field was in the last podcast. I mean, center field defense last year was dead last and second base was not much better. Second base was, 23rd, 25th, depending on which metric you look at. I mean, that's well into the bottom third of baseball for a pitching staff that pitches to contact. And that was that defensive rating with the shift in place. That's with Nico Horner covering, you know, second base lack of range um, by putting the shift on. So if the Cubs get Swanson, the defense gets much better. Swanson is actually a good hitter. I, I know there's a lot of there are not too many people out there that are throwing a lot of hate at Swanson. Swanson has not been consistent and he has not had a lot of great seasons, but he is a guy with power. Cubs don't have pop. He had a really good season last year. And even if he doesn't, even if he steps back from last season and is an average hitter, average hitter plus the glove, honestly, it's still better than what the Cubs were rolling out at second base last year. So, he makes the Cubs better and he's probably, he really has to be the number one get there are, as I've said all along, if the Cubs don't get a shortstop, there's still other paths to them putting a good team out there, but it gets a lot harder without one. And now with the guys who are off the board, it gets a lot harder 
specifically without Swanson. Another impact bat possibility is Michael Conforto. He's always been a good hitter. He missed most, if not all, of last season with an injury. And so he's a free agent, and he's going to want one of those short deals. He's going to want to come back, show he's healthy, show he can produce. So he's a guy the Cubs are now rumored to be in on. Um, Certainly he makes a ton of sense if Ian Happ is actually traded to the Blue Jays for Danny Jansen. But even if he doesn't, if Hap stays, I think there are plenty of at-bats. I mean, what the Cubs would be setting up at that point, and let's let's pretend, actually, you know what, Swanson doesn't even factor into this particular player mix, but the Cubs are expected to, to put Matt Mervis out there at first base as a rookie as half of a platoon at bare minimum. And there's a lot of reason to think he'll succeed. I mean, Steamer and Fangraphs have him projected for north of a 120 WRC+. plus, So they all see the hitting potential. And I think the bat will play. He will have his struggles, though. I mean, rookies come up, and that's what they do. We saw it. Saya was sort of a rookie in name only last year, coming over to the major leagues for the first time from pro ball in Japan. But even he had he put up good numbers, but he had his periods of struggles. Matt Mervis will do the same. So having somebody over there to kind of mix and match, you know, the Cubs haven't signed that guy yet. They were hoping Abreu would be that guy, but he's not because he's signed with Houston. But if the Cubs were to bring in Conforto and still have Hap, you know, Conforto can play left. He can give Saya a day off in right field. Hap can move over and play center. So then Conforto can play left with Hap in center. Cody Bellinger can also play first base. Any of those guys can play DH. So I think there's an avenue for plenty of at-bats from Conforto. And Conforto's value has always been as bat. So if Conforto's not playing defense, that doesn't really matter. Probably, I mean, for the Cubs, it's probably best because Happ and Bellinger are so good defensively. But Conforto is going to rebuild his value for next year's free agency, should it happen, by showing he can come back and, and be that hitter he's always been. So if you don't get Swanson or Conforto, now you're looking at, or if you get Swanson or Conforto, you're still looking at some holes in corner infield. You want somebody who can help if Matt Mervis does struggle. Matt might come out, maybe get a quick start. Pitchers adjust to him. At some point, he might have to go back to AAA for a while. That's okay. It happens. It happened to Rizzo. It happened to Schwarber. It's happened to so many guys. Um, but they want to have a plan B. You can't just go in that Mervis is my starting first baseman, and then if he has to, if he struggles and has to go down for more AAA at bats, all of a sudden you're you're rolling back out the same stuff you had last year and. No offense to Alfonso Rivas, I, I like the guy, but he just hasn't he hasn't hit. So when you look at first baseman, there's Trey Mancini. He's probably available on a short-term contract. Brandon Drury is somebody who can play first or third. Um, he had some big moments with the Phillies in the postseason, for sure. He can play. He could be a good bat in this lineup. You got Justin Turner. He's available. If the Cubs could get him for – he's 38 years old, and he's not what he was two, three years ago. But he's still a guy with a lot of pop and who can still hit. So, And he's just has a great reputation as a great clubhouse guy, great teammate. Guys love him. So bring him in for two years. He can play third base, get in some platoon with Christopher Morel. That, that would allow Christopher Morel to kind of be that, um, that super sub. And if you bring Justin Turner in at third, then maybe at first base, maybe you just go with um, Patrick Wisdom to platoon with Matt Mervis. Um, Wisdom does hit lefties, so... There'd be no reason why that couldn't be a successful platoon. I think we'll still add another starter. Ever since the season ended, it's been expected that Drew Smiley would come back. If they don't get him, I would expect them to add somebody like 
Michael Walker, Corey Kluber, just somebody like that to give the Cubs one more option at the back end of that rotation, one more arm to for depth purposes. I think the Cubs showed last year that, you know, Javier Assad, Adrian Sampson can start. I think we'll see Hayden Wisniewski maybe not in the rotation to start the year, but probably on the big league club to start the year. Maybe maybe he does that bullpen path that Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson have done. There are options at, at pitcher, but would like to get that one more arm, that one deeper arm. I think another option I talked about last week a little bit, if, if they don't sign Swanson, is getting Gene Segura in there. But if you don't get Swanson, so here's the problem with the offense. If you don't get Swanson, Horner stays at short, which is fine. Horner's a very good player. Then you have questions at third base. You have questions at second base. You have questions at first base. You have, And you have questions at catcher. And so at that point, I said there's still a path to that successful team. There still is. But now you probably have to get Trey Mancini at first base. You have to get Justin Turner or Brandon Drury at third base. You probably have to get Gene Segura to play second. I, I've seen nothing the last two seasons to tell me that Nick Madrigal is going to be able to be healthy and produce for a full season. It would be awesome if he did. I think when he, when he's healthy, we saw in August that he's capable of being you know that that three ten to three thirty hitter. He's not going to have a lot of pa- lot, He's not going to have a lot of power, but he is going to have you know a little bit of gap shot power. He'll get some doubles in there, but he's not. He's a, he's a fine defensive player. He's a, he's okay. I think he gets he would get a little bit more exposed this year without the shift. I think um, that's a role where Nico was able to cover more by playing the shift and get some balls that you know uh, Madrigal could get to. But he's he's not going to kill you at second base. But now with his pitching staff that pitches the contact, you're not plus at second base if Nick Madrigal is playing second base. You may not be plus with Gene Segura either, but I think you're you're better. And I think Gene is somebody who, again, he's. he's played for years i mean he he's a good player he's he's not going to be a super above average hitter but he's going to be an average to slightly above hitter and you're going to need to get those guys and have them produce in order for this team to win if you don't get swanson you're obviously trying to stack those guys up then this is also where we get into those trade scenarios and there will be trade scenarios that potentially that we haven't even heard of because it's obvious who's available as a free agent and it's obvious when a team comes out and basically says, hey, we're the A's say we're going to shop Sean Murphy. Or the everybody can look at the Toronto Blue Jays and see that they have three quality catchers and an escalating payroll. It makes a ton of sense they're going to trade one. So, But some guys are available for the right deal. Like I'm not sure anybody necessarily realized how available Hugh Darvish was until the trade happened. And one guy that's been rumored in lately is Bo Bichette. Shortstop for the Blue Jays. Bichette's an excellent player. In his last two years, he's hit 53 home runs. He's been uh, over 120 WRC plus both years. He's kind of an electric player. But at 24, he's now arbitration one. And this year he's expected to make just a touch under $6 million, like $5.7 million. But he's a guy who, if he keeps playing at this rate, his arb price, and I've talked about this before when I went through the arb increases for guys like Chris Bryan and Javi Baez, his arm price is going to go up fast. So he's making about $6 million this year, which is an absolute steal. And he'll be, he'll be worth every price he gets, but it's going to jump from, you know, 5.7 million this year. If he has another, you know, 25, 28 Homer season, 125 WRC plus with a good glove. 
I mean, it's certainly north of $12 million, maybe $15 million next year. It might be a $10 million raise. And he might kick over 20 in RB or three. So if the Blue Jays are interested in staying under the CBT and they want to get quality return, like Danny Jansen will get some back. There aren't that many catchers as good as he is. But he's not a potential star. He's only going to get you so much in return. But if all of a sudden the Blue Jays package both of those guys together, then suddenly it's a whole different ballgame. Now all of a sudden I love Ian Happ and he is one of my favorite players and I will be thrilled to death if he plays his whole career with the Cubs. But all of a sudden now in that deal, you're giving up a good bat, but you're getting two good bats back. And you're getting a good defensive shortstop that allows you to move Nico back to second base. Now now we're where we were before. Now you've got a better hitter than Dansby Swanson. Probably not quite as good of a glove, but Bichette is still a good defensive shortstop. And all of a sudden now this is this is more exciting. He's 24. He's somebody that, you know, if the Cubs are ever going to sign an extension again, he's certainly in one of those guys. You could lock up Bichette and, and uh, Nico in the middle of the infield for the next decade. You know, so I'm not saying – I don't think it's likely. I don't actually think the Blue Jays are going to trade Bo Bichette. But that's the kind of move it would take if you don't get one of those impact bats to make the season work. So where do the Cubs go from here? The Cubs are currently 15th in baseball at $148 million against the $233 million competitive balance tax. Now the Mets on the flip side have gone just completely crazy. Um, Just spending at will. Steve Cohen has no objection to any amount of money, it seems, which is kind of awesome for the game, but it's kind of annoying to watch them get all the great players. Um, they're currently at $322 million. And by the time you factor in all the taxes and surcharges built into the CBT, their total cost of payroll next year is, I've heard, looks like it's mapping to be about $415 million for 2023, which is kind of crazy to think about. But, hey, it's good for the players, so I'm I'm all for it. Um, I've long thought the Cubs would move their spending this offseason up to the $210, $220 million range to give themselves – some room at the deadline to make additions. Um, we'll talk in a minute about the Cubs front office, but it does sound like there's money there. Does that mean they're willing to go past the CBT? I kind of take it as a yes. Um, but even staying at that 210, 220 range, that means the Cubs have another, I mean, in, in raw dollars, it's another $70 million to spend, but it's the 70 million is not all straight payroll. Um, you have to factor in, benefits to the player and certain taxes and things like that. So it's probably another 35 to 40, possibly $45 million in, in new money, but that's plenty of room to add in Swanson and some smaller contracts and even extend, you know, someone like Nico or, or Ian Happ, especially because with those extensions, let's look at Nico in particular. He's he's, this is going to be his first arbitration season. So he's got three RB years coming up. He's not going to price at the $25 million a year market rate that some of those guys are getting in the free agent market right now. You might bake that into the back end of the deal, but you're, you're going to pay out his arbitration years first. So even with an extension, you probably give Nico a little bump above the $3.5 million roughly that he's expected to get in arbitration this year. You know, maybe you pay him 5 maybe you pay him 6 um, but you're going to build that money in however you want in that deal. So even extensions don't add a ton of money. Um, I do think where this market has gone, I'm not sure what kind of path there is for an extension with Ian Happ. One, the Cubs have no track record of doing it, really, just so to speak. 
and they did it with Bodhi and Hendrix, but those are the only two they've done it with since they did it with Starlin Castro and Anthony Rizzo back in 2013. So I don't know what Hap's thinking is right now. It seems like he loves Chicago. You know, he's very invested in, you know, connect roasters coffee and he's got the podcast. It's like he seems to love Chicago and he's happy to be here, but he also has to be watching that free agent marketing market and seeing that, you know, Brandon Nimmo didn't get the five or six years expected. He got eight years, well North of a hundred million dollars. I mean, so he's probably looking at that and looking at next year's free agent class, which is really not that strong and probably thinking, you know, maybe he just plays out this year and, and hits free agency. But, you know, if, if he and the Cubs can strike the right deal, if, if the Cubs bring out enough money, then a deal can happen. But that takes us back to this front office. This front office is a mess right now. You know, we've had Tom, I talked a lot about this last week. You know, Tom has said, Tom Ricketts has said multiple times over the past several months that there's money to spend. Jed has said that, you know, he didn't spend every penny he had last year. That's kind of fine. I mean, I, I know what last year was. We've talked about it. Last year was about finding out, hey, was Frank Schwindel's second half of 2021 real or not? Same with Rafael Ortega. Could some of these guys step up and be the guy? You know, Ian Happ did. Seiya Suzuki came in and played well. Frank didn't. Ortega didn't. And they're gone. You know, Rivas had opportunities to step up and, and take a more prominent role, and he was not able to. Patrick Wisdom did show that he's at least a legitimate major league player and probably ideal as a platoon piece or a bench bat. But I was okay with last year doing what it was. But now you have to start to build. You can't just be in perpetual trade and restock mode and your biggest pieces for restocking are mostly gone. I mean, there, there is still the Cubs would get a good price for Hap at the deadline, but I hope they're not in a position to do it. Same with, you know, if Cody Bellinger is hitting, he, somebody who could bring back a lot at the deadline, but 2023 was never supposed to be about let's get guys. We can flip at the deadline. It was supposed to be the next step into contention. And I think it's very fair to expect this team, this front office to put a team out there that's going to compete in a weak division, compete for a wild card. I don't think many people really envision this team as a World Series contender. I don't think they're there yet. They're a couple years away. But you have to be incrementally adding pieces. So, you know, I was a little disturbed. First, I was kind of excited when Crane Kenny came out and talked about how much money was there. But then we saw all these guys go off the board. We saw, you know, Carlos Correa go off the board. We saw Carlos Rodon go off the board. And as I said earlier, you know, the one that worried me the most was not getting Christian Vasquez. So it almost kind of seems like the front office, like Crane, the business side, is kind of trying to undercut Jed. And if those two heads of major areas of this franchise are butting heads. Now, Jed says nothing in the press. He never does. He hasn't shot back. I have no idea. what his, Nobody has any idea what his thoughts are. But with those two kind of, you know, publicly saying those things it it comes off as ownership in the business side trying to pressure Jed to spend and I don't know what that means I, I do think as I said earlier Jed is going to have to come off his ideal of you know six seven years or less on a contract or there's just a caliber of player you're never going to get talked about that last week and that's more and more true that may be true now with Dansby Swanson some of the projections I've seen out there, like if if I had to guess what Dansby's going to sign for, whether it's with the Cubs or not, like he's probably looking at you know eight years, 200 $220 million dollars. 
that puts him in an AAV probably closer to Bogarts than the the top of the market, but he's also not getting as many years either. Um, maybe some team comes in and goes, you know, 10 to 40, where you knock that AAV down to $24 million a year and go longer term. But the Cubs are going to have to step up. The idea that they're going to get him for six years, $180 million probably isn't going to fly. That would have been probably a pretty solid deal, I would have thought, heading into the offseason, but that's not where the market's gone. So what's Jed's plan? Um, you know, So I guess stepping back before we get to Jed's plan, is this an ownership problem or is it a front office problem? And if it's an ownership problem, then that would be you know Tom saying don't spend. But Tom is saying spend. Crane Kenny is saying spend doesn't really pass the smell test when when Tom has spent in the past that they're all saying spend when the reality is Jed's hands are tied and he doesn't have any money so that doesn't make any sense so is the Jed problem again it comes down to the plan and this is where in the past the plan was always fairly clear now I don't think the plan is that clear maybe the plan maybe we'll get through the complete offseason look back and say oh yeah that was the plan and and Jed executed it but we need to start seeing some action. And I, when I say we need to start seeing some action, that makes me look really selfish as a fan. But there's a lot that comes into just having faith in this program, in this franchise. You know, there, we, we've read stories about season ticket holders defecting. We know that over the last two, three seasons between COVID and poor performances and stars leaving, that the Cubs have churned through a huge chunk of their famed long season ticket holder wait list. So at some point there's a, there's an amount of goodwill with the fan base that you're starting to burn through. And we, we saw it last year. I mean, last year was the lowest attendance for the Cubs in 25 years. And think back over 25 years, that's a lot of really bad baseball. And there's a lot of sustained stretches of really bad baseball in that window. And the Cubs still came out with lower attendance. So there's a, there's a certain segment of the fan base that is getting fed up and that segment is growing and the marquee ratings. Now in the past, the Cubs were part of NBC sports or part of Comcast and those networks having the Cubs is an attractive thing. So they have to sort of pay the Cubs a lot of money. And to some extent, except for heading into the next deal, it doesn't ratings didn't play. I don't think a huge, huge factor there because you had to pay a premium to get the Chicago Cubs on your network. Cubs now have their own network. So if the product on the field sucks, people just aren't going to watch. And we saw that last year too, where the marquee ratings were reportedly down 20% year over year. If I will not sit here and say that all of Tom Ricketts' success hinges on attendance. It doesn't. He makes money even if Wrigley Field is half empty. But if Wrigley Field is half empty, that also means a lot less, a lot fewer people are watching on marquee. It means all the properties he's bought up around Wrigley Field are not getting those same game day boosts they were getting in the past. So I have no idea how that translates specifically. I don't have access to the books. But there's no doubt that as he puts a mediocre product on the field, he's leaving a lot of revenue on the table. And we've also seen this offseason, players want to go where there are other quality players and they have a chance to win. So... There's been some talk about, well, maybe the Cubs are saving money this year to go after Shohei Otani. Maybe. But Shohei Otani has already publicly said he wants to leave the Angels because he wants to be on a winner. 
So if the Cubs are not doing what it takes this offseason to show that they're growing, you know, they don't even have to be, you know, deep into the playoffs to be able to show, look, we were, you know, we went through the rebuild. We had a season that could have been 500 ish, but we had a bunch of injuries. Then we came back in 2023 and we made it to the playoffs as a wild card. And we have all this young talent coming up and Hey, show, Hey, come be, come be the ace on the staff. Come be the anchor. Come be the big face and the star of the next great Cubs team. What, you know, whatever that phrase means, that's a selling point. If the Cubs miss Swanson and the moves they make for these other bats kind of don't pan out and it's a really mediocre offense and they kind of get to 500 on a very unsexy brand of baseball with, you know, pitching solid pitching and good defense. It helps, but I don't, you know, where's Shohei going to want to go? Is he going to want to go to LA? Who's clearly staying out of some of these big free agents to reset themselves with the competitive balance tax. They're just going to have truckloads of money going forward. So you make your job harder in the future by not spending this year. So hopefully they get there, but it's not easy to see what the plan is. And I think that matters. This will be my last podcast until after Christmas. I've got some family obligations and some travel. So nothing more from me, probably not even an emergency podcast. If the Cubs do go sign Dansby Swanson, I was kind of hoping and waiting to do one of those, but enjoy the break. Hopefully you get some time off work enjoy your friends and family with whatever it is you celebrate. And hopefully as we come out of this and head into January with the Cubs convention on for the first time in years, Tom Ricketts is going to be there. Jed Hoyer is going to be there. I hope they have something, some great news to bring out with them before then, or I don't know, it could get a little messy, but anyway, um, have a great week, week and a half, and I'll talk to you again before the new year. I'm so very thankful that you chose to spend some of your time listening, and I hope you enjoyed your time here. If you liked what you heard, please take 10 seconds and drop a rating and review on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever it is you find your podcasts. Just a few seconds will help me get better and help others find the show. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CubsPSPlus. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Happy holidays and go Cubs!